She said, but I don't get it, but I don't see that. But can you explain? But mm-hmm. can you reiterate on this point? Because I don't see it. But here, you can just give them a big hug and say, I'm so man, I'm so proud of you. You're doing amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Hosh Bosh with Anita and Sarah. This podcast is powered by Foundry, a hybrid progressive art space located in downtown Dubai's Boulevard. It includes exhibition spaces, co-working environment, a creative library, podcast room, and a cafe. Hey, Anita. Hey, Sarah. I am so excited, and I think you can hear it in my voice. I loved our guest today, Asub Albuseli. She is an, a Kuwaiti artist uh, and actually I feel bad that I even said she's a Kuwaiti artist because in this episode we talk about how artists can divest from their relationships to countries um, as citizens of those countries and how much of their personal lives they have to reveal when they make their work but you know Athub identifies as a Kuwaiti artist so I'll give her that. Mm-hmm. We talked about authenticity um, and the importance of criticism especially here in the UAE in this newly thriving art market, art world, um, the importance of low-key attacking your curator, (laughs) but with kindness. I mean, it is support. At the end of the day, the best way to support is by investing care, investing research, investing your time in order to have proper feedback to deliver. Um, And Athub really encourages us all to just speak your mind. Yeah, I think another thing that really sticks with me as well, especially as a writer um, who tries to make my work as accessible and a curator right so a a writer and a curator who tries to make my work as accessible as possible to the public is how much she emphasizes using the simplest words ever to Mm -hmm. communicate something and I think that's something that's really admirable Athub's episode is a great one you don't want to miss it stay tuned enjoy Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. On a recent Instagram post of yours, you yeah. wrote the science of going. You're teaching your sister the science of going extinct. Yeah. And you're still afraid of going extinct. Yeah. Can you talk about that? What did that mean to you? So it's basically uh, how to grasp yourself, how to preserve yourself, and uh, oftentimes I uh, I think about documentation, about documenting my word documenting uh, my emotions you know those tangible emotions that that they feel so like they're slipping through your fingers and how to document that as a human being and um, that's basically what I've been teaching her so to preserve and to and to document those fleeting moments some things in life like you don't feel them so it is much easier to let go of whereas other things Uh, you have a taste of them already, you know, like flowers, like um, the sound of your grandma, like, you know, your dad's footsteps when he walks into the living room. So how to document those little tiny things, you know, and put value into them, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. (laughs) I love how you describe that. 
And is that linked to the desert? It is definitely linked to the desert. So one thing as a child is like, I remember when I was like nine to 10 and I used to go to the hunting trips with my dad. Um, the I was really surprised and like both baffled and surprised uh, about this specific flower, which is called like nowhere wildflower. Uh, it's a quite national flower. And um, so it comes for three months only during spring and then it disappears entirely. It's so yellow. It is so bright. It covers the entire desert. You cannot miss it. And uh, I, I, when I go into April, I'm like, where did that go? There is literally no trace, not even re- like roots, not even leaves, nothing. So, I mean, that's when I started to understand the environment and uh, mostly the desert environment. So like w- the, the thing that I just recently like been talking about with, uh, with like my colleagues is that desert is often referred to as a wasteland or as it's an empty environment but uh in the contrary it is full of things it's full of metaphors and objects now why is it called that way is because it's an invisible landscape it's an invisible environment um like and the contrary of like forests or jungles where you can clearly see things you know like you clearly see the trees the water feature you know the the entire ecology system or uh in desert you don't see them so you call them like empty or wasteland but they're full of things it's just that those little elements are underground like the roots are underground the the um, the, the roots of the plants are underground the animals themselves are underground so Everything is like underneath the surface. And I was really fascinated with how to excavate all those elements and document them, understand them, but how they're ephemeral in their way as well. Like the desert works with an expiry date, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing that you are flipping the notion of the desert as a wasteland on its head, because I think that is a very Eurocentric notion, mm-hmm. you know, that to see to see a place like the desert as barren can only come to your mind when you imagine that the only kind of fruitfulness is one that's vegetation, Mm -hmm. one that's green, one that has a very, uh, I guess, northern or southern landscape with Mm -hmm. trees and etc. And I think even that is apparent in the way colonial powers came to came to this part of the world right exactly and what they chose to exactly excavate yeah yeah exactly i mean like even um it's 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 so romantic like their their gaze is so romantic and uh it's so fetishized i guess and uh even now you see like ads to saudi arabia or the emirates you know it's like an exotic vacation vacation somewhere that doesn't exist in any other part of the globe uh, something so alien and uh, attractive. So even the way we promote our own environment mm. uh, is that, becomes that. And it's so funny because desert is everywhere. Like it's between the streets. Like mm-hmm. on my way to the foundry, I see traces of the desert between the roads where it's not like filled with flowers or soil. Mm-hmm. And uh, it passes as marginal space, I guess, you know, between between streets, between traffic, between like buildings. Uh, yet we do not understand it yet to us it's the like exotic creature you know that is oh the the prince of Arabia lives there or like you know like those romance you know the veal the the date palm the dancing the 
it's so oriented. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's so interesting that the desert is considered something like you can't see it or it's invisible, but you can feel it more than any other landscape. Like yeah. once you leave the desert, it's impossible to leave it behind because it's everywhere in your ears, in your shoes. Like yeah. it's impossible to get rid of. Exactly. It affects everything you do. Exactly. Like, even if you're reading a book there, the sand is going to be on Exactly. I mean, the best gift that the desert could give you is sand between your toes. Mm-hmm. You know, something that gets so annoyed of, you have mm-hmm. to go back home and shower. But to me, like, that's that's such a, like, a souvenir, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. sweet of the desert to do so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your works have recently been exhibited at Warehouse 421 in Abu Dhabi, the Hub Gallery in Kuwait, um, and Kuwait City, and uh, also in Mariah Art Center in Sharjah, and Art Budapest in Budapest. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, like, your relationship with the material landscape here, um, how is that understood here? Like, how do audiences react to that here versus abroad in Hungary, for example? I mean, the work that I've done for Hungary, it was part uh, of my bachelor's. Uh, so I, I took a, a trip to Hungary to exhibit in their art fair when I was in fourth year. And I still believe at that point I was um, still learning, still exploring. And uh, I got like a lot of feedback, mostly about, you know, they came into the booth and they're in there like, but how is that linked to your culture? Uh, or how that how um, I don't see the language of your country there. And um, I guess that's how it was viewed, uh, the work. But uh, my commentary on that, I mean, like, yani, I wouldn't ask anyone like from America or Paris, you know, like, where is like, how does that reflect your culture? But here in our work, especially when we have artists that exhibit elsewhere, people yani, accept of them or expect and uh, they would bring parts of their culture, you know, yeah. or they would be a representative or of a tradition or a heritage. Mm. But it's just not about that you know like yeah. i can but i'm not yeah. you know yeah yeah especially i feel th- i felt the same when i when i was in my undergraduate degree i studied theater um and a lot of the times i felt that the only thing that i could represent in my creative practice was either my arabhood or my female arabhood mm. and it was almost like if i was talking about anything else i was being disingenuous to that heritage because that was my ultimate thing that I could talk about. It was the thing that oppressed me and therefore should be the subject of my creative exploration. But, you know, like as much as, first of all, that's a romanticized notion, right? Like I'm an Arab woman and I am not oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing as well was that may- maybe that's not what I want my creative work to be about. And I think I, sh- it sh- I should be able to make my creative work about anything I want it to be without bringing in or foregrounding that perspective. And that's why so often when uh, places ask ask creatives to give in their bio. Uh, I find it interesting when artists don't name where they're from because that adds so much prejudice and makes the person who's looking at the work view that work through the lens of the place where they come from, especially when those countries are countries that are uh, stereotyped or prejudiced against. Um, and I actually quite respect artists when they do things like that. So, I mean, I find it really interesting, like the relationship between the artist and the artwork, you know? Um, oftentimes, like, you see parts of the artist there, but sometimes not. Um, yeah, and I, and I just, like, find that really, really interesting about just, like, to let go of your own self, ab- about your own memories and, and personal life, and to just create work that is, like, yeah, any abstract from all of that. Mm-hmm. 
but at the same time it is hard i mean i am doing something about the desert and something that yani is so in me is so deep rooted in me that i just cannot shake off yeah i think it's the question for me lies is like how much how much agency can we give creative people to erase their identity from the work that they make if yeah. i don't want to exist as a public figure i should have the right to a lot of the reason why we expect artists to give their background is because we expect from them this degree of authenticity mm-hmm. like you know you have to represent an experience that you lived yeah i mean um, there there there's a demand of evidence mm-hmm. uh, you know mm-hmm. and that's why i love to call my work science fiction um, because I want to have evidence which is science uh, and it's not memory and it's not personal life and I want to have fiction as well when artists create work based on a memory or based on a past experience it is so intangible and it's so like faint and it's hard to grasp so you there there is a lot of pressure telling you like keep writing document it you will figure out your memory you will figure out your experience keep sketching keep but what about just letting go of that evidence and creating like you want to create a monster under your bed just create it you know mm-hmm. if you felt at some point you lived it then then it is it you know the most interesting thing about our identities i feel are like the little things that like you don't even notice you're doing you know yeah and that comes across in your work whether you like it or not that's what authenticity is right yeah. when you don't feel like you have to present or act or perform yeah but when it's just there yeah i feel like what you were saying when you feel like you have when you think you have to um explain your identity like the work should the work can doesn't have to but it can speak for itself without a written Uh, component to it mm-hmm, exactly. and that's why I wanted to ask also about your etchings because you include text in there too mm. so how do you decide what language to do the text in or what you're going to write how does it come to you like in a broad sense that etching was me talking about talking to seasons so I was talking to winter and I was talking to spring as if it was a person so I gave these two seasons an identity based on how I viewed them as a child um winter was always harsh and spring was always victorious but in a very pressuring way you know i always feel, felt the pressure of victory even though victory never came so there is also always a sense of emptiness um sometimes it is filled when there is a celebration but sometimes not so that's i mean that's how it is i would imagine things are little creatures and i would talk to them i would talk to the wind and i would talk to the sand and i would talk to the to the air and then the conversation that of unfolds create this entire poetry if you would call it or yeah i guess that's it it's its own language <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. you did a bfa right so yeah. you're a practicing artist but if i'm not mistaken you're currently studying something a bit different you're studying yeah. history art history and museum studies museum studies yeah. so i'm curious what made you decide to do that and how if in any way that those your further studies in that masters are changing your art practice now i realize that back to us talking about evidence i uh, evidence i wanted that evidence in my knowledge i wanted something to back up when i what i know what i'm passionate about mm. so if i'm passionate about art and if i were to speak about art in a formal setting i would want to know the history behind it i want to know the facts behind it 
I guess that's why subconsciously I want to study artistry. Mm. I mean, that degree allowed me to understand so much more, you know, the theories that stick into things, um, like the theories of, let's say, Islamic art. Um, Islamic art is not boring. <laughs> and contrary, like, contrary to, like, you know, what everyone thinks, it's like patterns and it's like geometry and um, things repeat itself but it is not that and I and I guess that degree allowed me to understand in textbooks what do they delete and what do they put for us to read and I got a chance to read you know the full spectrum that is what is not shown and what is shown and to become with and to, to come up with facts on my own and to come up with conclusions on my own so um, I was really happy I, I took this degree, honestly. Like you said, Islamic art is really interesting. Mm. Um, how come when in New York or in France, like when they used, when artists were using geometric shapes and experimenting with that, that was like modern art. That was so cool, avant-garde. But when they do it here, it's like, oh, it's boring. You know, it's exactly. just like in the mosque. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. So uh, thank you for saying that. Because like Islamic art was created not to be put as a, an architectural element, you know, it was created first to document uh, the stars, to document astronomy, uh, to document sciences, uh, to document the sea. And it was, it was like categorized, what, what was categorized as Islamic art is only the geometry part. So what about all the other things where it is figurative? Is it called Islamic art? There is literally no naming for that and it's just just lost in textbooks um and i guess like that is what really interests me how they you they it was so figurative i just want to highlight that at the beginning those like uh, at the time of the like the first khalifa and um like 2000 bc it was it was a lot of figuration going on, and it was a lot of um, when I talk when I, when I when I say figuration, I mean like they use a lot of vegetation, symbolisms, um, human figures as well. Mm-hmm. So it was always there, and then they abstracted it, and then after they extracted it, they said, "Oh, this can be used in mosque later on." So that's much later on, and. Um, I mean, yeah. Are you saying they abstracted the figurative forms until they were geometric? Exactly, shapes? exactly. Oh, that's so yeah. So at the beginning, it was it was not about that at all. Mm-hmm. It was it was actually naked women and uh, you know the baths. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should 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 say that, but like, um, yeah, that's how it was. So I'm curious. I know that you're currently pursuing the research residency at El Sirkal Foundation. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm curious what you're hoping to get out of that experience. So um, uh, first, it's such, a, it's such a great experience. I mean, the team is amazing. Uh, they've been really supportive. Um, that's, uh, so I'm doing a residency at the common area. And the benefits of the common area that it is not like an exclusive space. It's not like an art studio space where you have like four walls around you. But it's very open. Anyone can come. You can have a discussion with literally anyone. And um, even when I sit and I do my research in my designated space, anyone can come and join and sit at the same table and they would could ask me questions about my research that is um, like, yani I have parts of it on the table and parts of it on the wall. So it's really exciting how 
that space is filled with hospitality, I guess. I told you this before and I'll tell you this again. I'm looking forward to what comes out of it. I really do want to ask you uh, about something that I saw you posting about on your social media. It was almost a week ago, I think, in which you, you posted a set of stories talking about how there isn't enough critical engagement with our peers uh, and how when we talk about our peers work it's always to applaud it and never to actually question it or push it further or be critical of it and i'm super curious uh to hear more about what you think about that so that was um that was i think very provocative set of story posts um i just want to say that most comments i got on my dm are people viewing criticism as something bad? And I and I guess that's what I wanted to dismantle, you know, the idea that criticism is negative. No, like, it's just feedback, you know? It's honest, literally honest feedback. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing that I, I really noticed recently, and, um, and especially the, the newer exhibitions, and they're not all like small exhibitions, but even major ones, um, commissions. Uh, I'm not going to talk about art fairs because they are commercial and they're doing their own thing. I'm not going to comment on that. But yeah, art exhibitions and uh, the, the commissions that we see in public, most times when I go and I read the description and I go see the work, I am not seeing what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it just feels like the artwork got created and they felt the pressure of having a fancy wording behind it mm-hmm. to <laughs> validate their work. And I mean, and I wrote in my story, if you do not know this, I'm going to tell you, it shows. Yeah. <laughs> because it really shows. And um, yeah, I mean, yani, even if you create, even, even if you have, even if you're going to make conceptual art, you know, mm-hmm. where you put an object and you put a concept on it, mm. you can know that this is conceptual art. Oh, it's found object and you see that. Mm. But some art here gets created and I, I love the materiality, I love the process and it's quite interesting to see and to have and to, to be put in public. But when you read this scri- description, which is supposed to lead you or tell you what it is about, you don't see it. Mm. Or it is la- lacking the research. So there's an artwork that I've seen recently, which, I mean, which is in a very important setting, but this the statement is, is wrong. It's, it's, it's a false statement, mm. and it is based on no evidence or anything. Um, but, but, that, but that's my point, uh, that, I mean, our circle here is so tight. It's so small. We, everyone knows everyone everyone probably follows everyone and if you don't uh, there's a problem with you you know mm-hmm. um you check like <laughs> for real you know but uh then it becomes hard to show support to show up without having a word to say yeah i would love to sh- support my peer artists and creators by showing up which i think is very important but i i i kind of I kind of have my, I want to have my freedom as an, as a public, as an audience mm. in your exhibition. And I feel like that is being taken away from me. Mm. 
And uh, I mean, go to any exhibition outside, the creator would stand in front of you. You would have the, f- the full freedom to talk to that creator. So tell them, but I don't get it, but I don't see that. But can you explain? But uh-huh. can you reiterate on this point? Because I don't see it. But here, you can just give them a big hug and say, I'm so man, I'm so proud of you. You're doing amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Yeah. You know, because they're your friend or. They're someone that is, you know, since like two years. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I think this is such an important topic. And I think it's really hard to know the solution because even though I'm new here, so technically I shouldn't feel any of these obligations, I do. Uh, and I, I feel them also in part because every person who I might criticize is a person who I might end up working with. Mm-hmm. And because there's no culture of accepting criticism and not seeing it as a personal thing, it becomes really difficult. And as someone who's also a writer, and technically I'm an art criticism writer, every single article I've written has been like, oh, and that was beautiful, and oh, and that was amazing. And I'm not going to say that the ones I've written about weren't, and I was holding back, but it's what holds me back from talking about other shows. I, I wish that there was a platform on which I could write or even speak to the people who are making work in a critical way, Mm -hmm. but in a critical way that's not meant as, oh, your show didn't make sense and I have X, Y, Z questions and you could have done this or something could have been improved means I hate you. Mm -hmm. No, it means this one maybe could have been done differently or I would like to have a further conversation with you about it or I just didn't like it personally. And that doesn't mean that I don't respect you as someone who I could continue to work with and have a great friendship with. Mm -hmm. I think we aren't able to separate those things because it's been a history of we must raise each other up and applaud Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. We can do both, I think. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And especially here at this culture where we're taught to kind of celebrate each other. Mm -hmm. And I love that about us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, that comes with, with like many negative elements, you know, like you cannot do without celebrating someone even if that that thing that you're trying to celebrate does not make sense to you or does not align with what you believe in mm-hmm. and now i'm not talking about visuals you can create whatever you want to create you know you can create in whatever material you want and what whatever shape but i'm talking about really the research behind it so keep it simple there is an exaggeration of words there is literally a vomiting of words mm-hmm writers spin around the point but never talk about the point and artists do the same and um i mean if your work is about that process let's say you created a block of wood you don't have to say that it reminds me of i don't know something that i lived in or it's it's just taken from minimalism and it's taken from all of that and you put a fancy concept into it you say like I'm exploring angles or I'm exploring surfaces and the spatial awareness of a surface of a cube. You don't have to say that. Just Mm -hmm. say, I cut a block of wood and I love it. You know, just simple as that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that'd be a good like work description because I would I would believe it. I would relate to it. I would not feel like an alien. And there is an essay that I wrote about uh, the gallery space. And there's a lot of there are a lot of people that talked about the gallery space but mainly um the the thing that i found interesting is the and the audience the relation the, the audience and their relationship to the gallery space because when you once you go into that once you go into that door 
there is always a sense of exclusion, you know, like uh, from the outside. You suddenly... And that comes from insecurity. Yes. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Because the art market is so new and like gallery yes. spaces are new here, we feel like we have to attach academic language to everything. We feel like we have to yes. promote everything because what are the expectations of us? We want to exceed them. Yes. We want to reach them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and at some point, it becomes toxic. Mm. Because I do think that proper criticism, research criticism, not just saying I hate this, or fine, like if you just want someone to know that you hate something, fine, I guess there's some merit in being honest about your natural response. But if you do, I think the criticism that is important is when you do your research and you care enough to support someone. Mm. Like if your friend has something in their teeth, you mm. would tell them, exactly. right? And that's not because you hate them when you want them to be embarrassed, it's because you want them to be their best. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the, the, the insecurity of feeling that you don't know enough, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that you have to come into a gallery, put a hand, put put the hat off. I know everything, you know. I am I am that word that you speak. I am that language that you want to explain to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not. <laughs> I I'm someone that I just came into the door. I don't know. Explain it to me. Use something that is simple. And um, I guess that's why I love. Um, uh, Sharjah Art Foundation the most uh, really because uh, I know I like it's a different uh, topic but the show for Tariq um, Atwe and Sharjah Art Foundation is so simple the wording is so simple yet it is written by the most amazing creator most amazing artist but it you feel you, you feel that the space is inviting all the local people not local artists not like worldwide artists, but the local people that need to, s that want to see the art, you know, mm -hmm. and they can understand it through the, the the sound that he that 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 the works made and through the wording. It's so simple and beautiful, and you go out leaving like you understood something, you know. There is something that you got. There is a perspective that you've seen. Uh, now with shows, it's so alienated. It's so alienated, and it's very cold. I would say. Mm -hmm. What's one way to overcome that, do you think, in other gallery space? Use wordings, use good wordings, simple wordings. Um, do not go for fancy ones. And you don't have to use the cinnamon saurus every time you type in a sentence. Just mm -hmm. if you want to say and, just say and, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that, you know, like yeah. just keep it simple and don't, yeah, just don't dramatize. Uh, I guess, your language. Words that needed to be said. Thank you, <laughs> Number six, what is your greatest extravagance? Um, when I try makeup, <laughs> I, I don't usually but when I do uh, yeah I think I, I'm trying I, I, be, I become someone that I mm -hmm. I'm not on a daily basis um, my other extravagant is when I wash my sheets and everything smells so nice <laughs> even the door <laughs> I don't know how that's amazing um, three right mm-hmm what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? So the thing that I hate 
about me the most is the the amount of times that I change my clothes before I leave the house. Yeah, I I change my clothes a lot, and um, I believe that like white is a good color if I'm like talking to someone and black is a good color when I just don't feel like talking to someone and then I just have this weird relationship with colors and yeah I just want to change that I I don't want to feel like I'm being jailed by colors and just yeah any I do that is such an interesting perspective for an artist to have to feel jailed by color mm-hmm. what's your favorite color this is a bonus question uh blue blue yeah blue. me too for the listeners, Adub is in a white shirt, white jeans, white sneakers, and this beautiful like, red orange shawl. Yeah. Um, so she's wearing white, which means she's open to talking. Yeah, today. exactly. <laughs> That's good for our podcast. <laughs> Before we go, mm-hmm. is there anything that you want to point us in the direction of? Anything of your work or anything people you think should be paying attention to? I mean, I guess uh, I would want people to pay attention to the way they react when they're in an exhibition. And um, I want them to be open to to talking, you know, really, not just greeting people. Uh, there's a lot of exhibitions that are happening now. And I, I know the creators would love for us to ask questions, would love for us to point out a thing that they they forgot to do. And just... Just, just be open to do that. Don't feel restricted by, you know, the the cold white walls. Just if, like, put your warmth into that space, you know, and just go ahead, uh, and use simple wordings, please, please. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adu, for joining us today, for enlightening us about how to properly approach curators. <laughs> it was a Thank pleasure you. to have you. Thank you, Anita and Sarah. I loved being here. <laughs>